Heavenly Father, we thank you for this third day and final day of our retreat, our time with you. We thank you for the gift of your Son present to us in the Blessed Sacrament, who we'll receive in moments or a little later. Um, we ask that through that union with him, that we may be united to his sacred heart. And we ask this through, the heavenly, through our Heavenly Mother, her intercession as we pray. Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, here we are, the third day. Um, we started Friday evening. Um, I don't know for you, but it feels like that was yesterday for me. Um, maybe it feels like it was years ago for you. Um, but I want to thank you, um, for coming on this retreat. You know, the, when I got ordained, um, I got to see and witness spiritual fatherhood and, you know, as a new priest, the things they teach us in seminary, you get ready to hear confessions and, you know, do the, perform the sacraments, which is obviously a necessary part of the priesthood. But I think, um, you can't really get spiritual fatherhood until you're on the ground, you know, um, living it. And I, I learned what spiritual fatherhood is because I learned these people coming to me, um, that God has entrusted to me. And it's kind of at times frightening, um, only because, you know, when, when, when a husband dies, he gets judged on what he said, what he did, how he behaved, all that. He gets judged on how he helped his spouse get to heaven and then what he did to, um, help his children to know the love of God. And obviously there's free will involved, so kids get to go do whatever they want, but parents have that responsibility. And I was kind of like, oh, priest got a little easier, right? You know, because I'm married to the church and she's perfect, so I can't help her get to heaven, you know? Um, and two, like, I don't have any kids, like, I'm a celibate, you know? And so this is all right. And then I remember my first year as a priest um, talking to someone, an older priest. I was in spiritual direction. And he said, how are you doing with the responsibilities of the priesthood? And I said, like the breviary? And he goes, sure. And I was like, fine. I mean, I pray my breviary. And he goes, how about the other responsibilities of the priesthood? And I said, like I celebrate mass. I give homilies, like, to the best of my ability. And he goes, what about the biggest responsibility of the priesthood? And I go, I, protecting the Eucharist? Like, I don't know what you're after here, Father. And he said, you know, when you die, you're going to be judged on not only what you did, what you said, um, how you behaved and all that, but you're also going to be judged on how you helped every soul you encountered to know Christ. And I kind of sat back and I was like, why didn't they mention that 
in seminary. Like, I don't remember anybody saying that before I got ordained. Now, I'm sure they did. Um, and I just kind of thought, oh, okay, sure, you know. Um, it was probably like the Holy Spirit, like, we're not going to let him fully understand that one right now. We'll let him understand it later. Um, but it is, you know, that responsibility of, of how did you help every soul you encounter to know Christ? And that soul that is coming to me saying, Father, but that's also the soul that I meet in traffic, you know, um, they don't have to be a Catholic soul, um, but rather it's every soul I come in contact with. So I mentioned that to say this, you have entrusted me this weekend with your souls and it's a responsibility that I don't take lightly. So thank you. Now, I'm not going to get emotional. So, um, so I just, I just, I truly wanted to say thank you. Um, because whether you knew me, um, ahead of time or not, or, um, the title caught your attention or you're just needed a retreat, um, you came and you, you entrusted me with your soul. And so I thank you for that. Okay. We're done getting emotional. So, um, I need another cup of coffee is what I need. But anyway, um, so the topic for today is healing. And with regards to healing, um, I mentioned yesterday, you know, if you don't, if you leave here and you don't feel like you've been healed, that's okay. Because we're doing something um, that took, that takes months and sometimes years in really two days, you know. So if the Holy Spirit hasn't infused your soul and healed everything, the divine physician hasn't come in and completely healed it, that's okay. It doesn't mean that this retreat was a waste of time or anything like that because the graces, hopefully the graces from this retreat will continue to last um, for quite some time. So with regards to healing... It's important to know um, the tenderness of God the Father. We often think of God the Father. We get the idea that sometimes he's this all-powerful, all-knowing being who's omnipresent and omniscient. He knows everything, and, he's, and he is all-knowing, and he's everywhere. And we think that we're but this small dot you know, on this life, you know, our life on this earth is but a small dot. And we think if God's so big and I'm so small, how could he look at me um, and see me and um, know me and not know me by my weaknesses, not define me by my weaknesses, but truly know my heart and my soul. And the way we can know that is because of his tenderness, because of the tenderness of God the Father. In, in uh, Scripture, and because I'm a good Catholic, I don't know where, um, but in Scripture, it talks about being able to call God Abba. Abba 
doesn't mean father. Abba actually means daddy. Abba, daddy, is a sign of tenderness. Abba is a title of tenderness. Daddy is a title of tenderness. Like, we don't go to God the Father and have this all-powerful guy, you know, with a white beard, sitting there with his iron staff, you know, pushing us aside wherever he wants us to go. That's not God the Father. God the Father is Abba, his tenderness. And so, with regards to healing... If we go to God the Father and we're able to say to him, Abba, Daddy, in prayer, Abba, Daddy, um, we can understand then his tenderness and his love for us. Because it's far easier. Um, I remember this. So at my parish back home in Donovan, we do on Sunday, well, at Mass, <clears throat> we do the little children's collection thing. And so I get the basket, and I come down, and I kneel down, and kids walk up, and they bring me money. And there's two stories that I want to share. <clears throat> one is this one time, this kid, I always say thank you when they drop their little dollar, you know, their dollar bill that's like, crumpled into the smallest little piece of, and you're like, I don't know what that is. If that's, if that's lint out of their pocket or if it's money, like I have no idea, but they come up and they drop it in and I say, thank you. So this one particular Sunday, this kid walks up and he drops it in and I go, thank you. And he turns around and looks at me and he goes, you're welcome, Jesus. And then turns and keeps going. And I remember thinking, that kid's kind of got it, you know? Like, I'm supposed to be, when I'm celebrating a sacrament, alter Christus, another Christ, you know? I'm supposed to be in the person of Jesus Christ. So, that kid in his innocence got it, you know? If he had, if he had said, thank you, Jesus, to me at Walmart, I would have been like, oh, I'm far from Jesus, you know? Um, but at Mass, like, that's beautiful. And in the, in the eyes of that little child... You know, I was Jesus to him. And and that's beautiful. So if we can have the eyes of the child to be able to look at Abba, Daddy, um, that's a beautiful thing. The second story Would you like the dramatic pauses? The second story <clears throat> is this kid brought up money. And he dropped it in the basket. I said, thank you. And all he needed to do was he got to the end of the pew right here. And he needed to take one more step. And then he would have seen his dad that was standing like halfway down the the pews. And if he had take one more step, he would have seen his dad. But he got to the end and he didn't know where dad was. And so he he just very clearly was like, daddy! And so his dad came up, and when he, when, when his son, I was like trying to 
you know, get him to turn the corner. And when he turned the corner, um, he's like, it was, it was the first daddy was scared. The second daddy was like, daddy, like he was joyful. And his dad bent down and put out his arms and his son like sprinted right into his arms. And, and you could tell his son wasn't going to stop until, you know, he got the thud of his father. If we can do that with God the Father, if we can run and not stop until we get the thud of his chest. Because God, Daddy, is standing there with his arms wide open for us. Daddy is standing there with his arms wide open for us every time we need him. And especially the times where we don't think we need him. He is standing there with his arms wide open. And he is just waiting for us to run into his arms. And I don't care how old you are or how young you are. You can run into the arms of your heavenly father. Because the embrace, that embrace that you will receive as you run into your heavenly father's arms and scream. And at times we might scream Abba out of panic. And at times we might scream Abba out of joy. Today, I can tell you when we leave, I'm going to scream Abba out of joy. So we can scream Abba out of that joy. And then we can run into his open arms. That's the tenderness of our father. I remember one time when I was little, we were at the fair. I remember, I think we were looking at the pigs or something, you know. So I was just a little tyke. Like, I was still a person, just smaller. My, my target, like the, where I feel comfortable, you put me in a room full of high school students, I am perfectly comfortable you put me in a room full of fifth grade down. Um, I'm looking for the exit. Like I can, I can, I can encounter a little, but then I need to go. You put me in fifth through through eighth grade. I'll tolerate, but I'm like, uh huh, uh huh. As I'm trying to get towards the exit, um, that's just not my target. But anyway, so I have to remind myself. When I go into a, a classroom of like eighth grade down, I have to be like, they're people too. They're just smaller. They're smaller versions of human beings. And so, um, but I remember this one time I was a little tyke. I was a little person and uh, we were at the fair and we we're looking at the pigs and stuff. And I turned around and I couldn't find my dad. Like I had no idea where my dad went and I didn't see my siblings or anything. And so finally... I was like, there's my dad. And so I ran over and I just hugged his leg. And I remember just holding onto his leg. And then the scariest thing in the world happened. Because this guy looked down at me and was like, hey, bud. And I was like, you're not my dad. And I was like, I just looked at him and my dad was like, hey, over here. Like, let go of that man's leg, you know. And then I was like. The rest of the time, I just held on to my dad's jeans 
Because I was like, I'm not letting you go again, you know? But that moment of, of fear of like feeling like I had clinched onto my dad and then this stranger looking down at me like, hey, bud. And I'm just like, you are not my dad. Like, you are not safety. I have no idea who you are, you know? Like, you're not, you're not who I want to cling on to. The reason I tell you that is sometimes we can do that. You know, we can find, we can find false safety, false security. And we think if we hold on to this, you know, and it could be a very good thing, right? It could be a very good thing. But if we hold on to this, this false thing, this false sense of security, eventually we look up and we go, wait, you're not, you're not my dad. You know, you're not Abba. You're not daddy. And so we need to be able to go, let go and go, I don't know who you are, but I'm not, I'm not playing this game, you know, and then be able to go to a daddy, um, and hold on to daddy. Jesus tells us that we have to be childlike, which is different than childish, right? Childish is we pray. And if we don't get what we want, we go on the floor and do a little tantrum, right? And we work it out through pounding our hands on the floor. I'm sure none of you who have children have seen this, but you know, we work it out there and we think if we scream loud enough or if we bawl loud enough or if we cause enough attention, then we'll get what we want. And that's the wrong way to do things, obviously. You know, we know that as we grow up because if, you, if you're in the store and, you know, you're at Starbucks and you go, I'll have a whatever coffee and they go, okay, that's $9,000. And you go, I have five. And they go, well, we're not going to sell to you for five. And if you threw a tantrum right there, you know, they would haul you off in a nice white coat, you know, like jacket. Um, and so we know that we can't do that as we grow older, right? And so we know that the proper way to ask and to receive, the proper way to be able to receive healing from Abba, Daddy, is to let him, to give him the, the you have to give yourself permission to let him heal you. Because if you don't give yourself permission to let him heal you, then you're trying to resist that. God's trying to heal, but he's not going to force his healing on us. God is not going to force, because he's a tender father, he is not going to force healing, he is not going to force peace, and he is not going to force love upon us. It's the sound of rain. Beautiful sound. Except for the areas of flooding, but otherwise beautiful sound. Um, God, because he is a tender father, is not going to force peace, love, and healing upon us. So we have to make sure that we give ourselves permission to receive that which he is offering to us. And here's the beautiful thing with regards to God and his healing. He doesn't offer it to us once, and then if we reject it, he doesn't go... Okay, I tried. Dundee, you know, like no moss. That means no more. 
in Spanish. Um, he's going to keep offering it. So even if we, even if we do, don't give ourselves that permission to receive that healing right then, it's not one and done. He's going to keep offering it. At the same time, if we receive that, that healing, if we go, I'm going to give myself permission to let God heal me, and we receive that healing, it's not one and done also. Sometimes with wounds, especially the bigger ones or the deeper ones, it takes more than one treatment to heal, right? I used to get sinus infections. I never, my siblings always had sinus infections when they were growing up in the center of God's country, which is McCook. Um, they would always get sinus infections. And I would always be like, you're weak, you know, because I never got them. So as a good, caring, loving brother, I'd be like, you're weak, you know, like you should be able to withstand being in nature and not devastated the next day, like you're weak. And then I moved from a cook to Seward to go to seminary. And um, the first year there, I was like, what is going on? Like, and I called my sister and she goes, hey, how you doing? And I was like, all through here like all through under my eyes and around my, and like my head, like, I don't know what's going on. And she's like, just started laughing. And I was like, Amy, I'm in pain. Like, why are you laughing? And she just laughed for like five minutes on the phone. And I'm like, Amy, I am suffering. Like, why are you laughing? And she goes, what you're experiencing, we call a sinus infection. And she goes, who's weak now? And I was like, all right, God, I will not laugh at my siblings when they are sick. Um, but with the sinus infection, I remember the first uh, years of priest, I got one and it kind of became an annual thing. And so I just knew when one was coming and I got one and got on the antibiotics and got done with the antibiotics. And I'm one of those that I'm not a good patient. Um, I fully know I'm not a good patient. And so like when the smallest thing goes, like I hiccup, I'm like, the end is near, you know, call a priest. I'm going to meet the Lord. Um, and so uh, when I went through the round of antibiotics and I still wasn't better, I was like, well, this is it, you know? I'm going home to the Lord. Like, I did the antibiotics. They didn't work. Clearly, I'm on my way out, you know? And so I'll just make peace with everyone and tell my goodbyes, you know? And I was talking to a friend, and I was telling him that, and he's like, would you stop? He's like, call the doctor and get it in the round. And I was like, no, this is it. And he's like, it might be it if you don't stop. Like, I may help you to go see the Lord. I was like, all right. Um, so I had to get that second round of antibiotics and take the second round of antibiotics before I was better. And so with the healing that, that the divine physician is offering to us, that the tender father is offering to us, it's not one and done. It's a healing that keeps happening because we need that next round um, and so it's not one and done. 
So finally, I'd like to tell you um, the end of my story. So uh, after praying and after letting God the Father tell me who I was and telling me about my uh, giving me emotional intelligence, um, I began to get a lot more intrigued into the podcast, The Place We Find Ourselves, which led to, um, in the podcast, The Place We Find Ourselves by Adam Young, um, Adam Young mentions that he was trained by a guy named Dan Allender. And so then I started looking up Dan Allender, and I found the Allender Center podcast. And I was talking to a priest, friend of mine, um, and I was, we, he saw the place we find ourselves on my phone. He goes, oh, man, are you listening to that podcast? And I said, I am. And he goes, isn't it amazing? And I go, yeah, how long have you been listening to it? And he's like, probably a year now. And I was like, oh. And I didn't know this, but there's a bunch of priests listening to it sprinkled throughout. I had no idea. Um, but with the Allender, Dan Allender, I found the Allender Center, and I found that they do a training, a certificate program. And so I asked permission from the bishop, and the bishop said yes. And so then I did the interview um, and this year I'll go to the Allender Center in Seattle, Washington, um, which will be fun. There's a bunch of libs out there, and they're crazy. Um, and I speak of that from my own family experience. I have an aunt and uncle. Um, and they're like, yeah, their idea of God and religion is... Anyway, um, but... Uh, so I'll be going to the Islander Center, and you just go four times out of the year. And I was sitting and talking to a priest, and um, this is going to come as a surprise because I've used a bunch of big fancy words. Um, but grades, like I already told you, I didn't think I was smart enough. Yeah, the grades, um, the the devil used those those grades to tell me that lie, because my grades in high school were never good. Like, um, in grade school and high school, I was home a couple, it was probably a year ago, and my dad um, was like, hey, I got to show you something we found. And I was like, okay. And so it was our report cards from my four siblings um, when we were at St. Pat's grade school. So he pulls out my sister's, and it's all A's. And I'm like, yeah, she's smart. We all, we all know, okay, we get it. And he goes, no, look at the religion grade. I was like, okay, it's an A. And he's like, all right. And then he pulls out my older brothers. And he goes, look into the religion grade. And I go, he's got an A. He goes, okay. And then he, he pulls out my younger brothers. And he goes, look at the religion grade. And I was like, he got an A. Like, what's the big deal? And he goes, let's look at the priest's report card. And he pulls out mine. And he goes, look at the religion grade. And I was like, C plus. <laughs> Nailed it, you know. Um, and he, my dad just laughed. He's like, he goes, how did the guy that got a C plus in religion be the one that got, you know, the, is the priest and the two that got the A's or the three that got the A's in religion, you know? Um, and I said, uh, I go, I don't know. It's God's mystery. Like it's his, it's, I don't know. It was all part of his plan. But, um, with the, with the grades um, and the idea of further education of any kind, 
like at the Mount, at the seminary I was at, you can do a, you get a master's of divinity, or as I like to say, a master's in God, and then you can get a second master's while you're there, because you're there long enough that you can get two. And so you can do a master's in scripture or master's in, I don't know, whatever else. And so they give you that option. And um, they came to me and they're like, do you want to do a second master's? And I was like, no, no. Because I was like, one, I never thought I'd get. Like, why on earth would I go for another one? Like, no, I don't want a second master's. And um, there's a priest friend of mine who, he's a priest down in Wichita. And he and I are very similar, especially with regards to academics. And it would always be that one of us would do well and the other one would do poorly. And so we'd have to encourage the other one. Like, we just took turns um, encouraging one another. And we formed the St. Paul Society. And the St. Paul Society um, is for those who struggle with academics. Um, it's our own little club. It's not an international thing. Um, but the St. Paul Society is those who struggle with academics because St. Paul says that God calls the weak and makes them strong. And so with this, those um, my close friends know of the St. Paul Society. And so when I announced that I was going to Seattle... They're like, you're doing further education? And I'm like, it's not a degree. It's a certificate. Like, I could print the certificate off at home, you know, if I wanted to. Like, it's not extra. It's not a degree. It's a certificate. So when we're on vacation this summer, I have now been placed on um, uh, probation for the St. Paul Society, which is totally bogus. Um, But they placed me on probation because I'm pursuing further studies. Um, but I tell you that to tell you this, that, that, um, little joy of talking about the St. Paul society and the debate about whether I should be on probation and all this, that was just simple little joy. And, um, if you don't think that God, the father cares about simple little joys like that, that you have with your friends or your spouse or your whoever, your coworkers, if you don't think that God the Father cares about those little joys, those little moments of, of teasing one another and, um, yeah, and just joy, you're completely wrong. Like, Abba Daddy cares about that stuff. Abba Daddy cares if, if you have that little fun, that little pleasure, I don't know how many of you have noticed my socks this, this retreat. I, I don't own a single pair of black socks, like solid black socks. I don't own a single pair. Because life, to me, life is far too interesting to wear plain black socks. I also don't own a pair of single white socks for when I'm not in my clerics. Um, because life is too interesting to wear a single pair of white socks. When I got to my rectory, here's today's socks. Life, for those that didn't see them over there, life is too interesting to wear plain black socks. Um, when I got to my rectory uh, in Donovan, I painted. I painted the walls. I painted every room but one. Um, because life's too interesting to have boring walls. Like this chapel, this part is beautiful. This part with the 
creamy wall stuff. Like, we got to paint. Um, because life's too interesting to have boring walls. With regards to healing, that the healing that God, the Father, Abba, Daddy wants to offer us, we have to be able to understand that God, our dad, is not calling us to a life of pain, misery, or suffering. And he's not like calling us to a life of boredom. Like, your daddy cares if you are bored. Now, you might be thinking, I'm bored listening to you talk about being bored. But just relax. Um, God doesn't call us to a life of boring. And when we can get healing from wounds, and as we, as we continue on, and we continue um, to get that healing, as the healing process starts, we can watch to see what God the Father gives us. Because what he's offering to us in those moments is joy, peace, and love. And joy, peace, and love, the joy, peace, and love that he's offering is authentic and lasting. It's authentic and lasting. One of the holidays that I dislike the most, it's the only holiday I dislike, is Valentine's Day. And it's not because I'm a celibate. Everyone was like, when I say I hate Valentine's Day, that's like, oh, it's because you have no one to love. You know, not true. The reason I hate Valentine's Day is because we take, we take fake images of love or fake ideas of love, wrap it in red cellophane, and shove it down people's throat. It's not authentic, and it's not real. Think of, think of I, you probably can't tell from my athletic physique, but I like to eat food. Um, and so the, the Burger King Whopper, Versus a steak at home. Burger King Whopper is quick, easy, you know, and you engulf it. And then 30 minutes later, you feel sluggish and you don't know why. And it's because of the meat. I don't think it's real meat. The meat sitting in your stomach right now that your body is like, why did you give us this? Versus the steak. The steak that takes a little bit longer. It takes time to, you have to prepare, you have to be able to go to the store or to the butcher shop, look at the cut of meat that you want. You have to have something to cook with it, right? Because you can't just eat steak. So you get some potatoes and green beans or Brussels sprouts. I have recently loved Brussels sprouts. Um, you cut them in half and put a little, I'm so glad these are recorded. You cut them in half and you put a little olive oil and salt and pepper, and then put them in the oven for like 15, 20 minutes. I could eat Brussels sprouts just sitting in one. Yeah, anyway. So you get your steak, and you get your, your potato, and you get your Brussels sprouts, or green beans, or 
corn on the cob during this time of year. And then you have to plan, so you get all that stuff, and then you have to time it all, right? So you can't put your steak on the grill when you put your Brussels sprouts in, because then your steak's going to be done way before your Brussels sprouts are done, right? And so you're either eating burnt steak and undercooked Brussels sprouts, or you're eating, yeah, so you just have to plan it all, right? And so you have to, and those of you that are moms are like, thanks for explaining how to do dinner to us, Father. Um, like we do this every day. Um, maybe you husbands do too. Um, but for me, it was, you know, go to the store and you get all this and then you have to time it, right? You have to time it perfectly. Um, and then when you time it all and you get it all prepared and you cook it all, that takes time. And then you sit down and you enjoy a beautiful meal, like a well-cooked meal. And at the end of the night, when you're going to bed and you're starting your devotions to St. Pillow, not a real saint, when you're starting your devotions to St. Pillow, you are feeling like full and joyful, right? Rather than the Whopper that was quick, easy, but feeling sluggish and filled with grease, right? Um, my friend, this will be the last thing, I promise. My friend, Father Rolling, um, was has been over in Rome for five years, um, on what we call a Roman vacation. He's actually been working on a doctorate in philosophy. He's a, he's a brainiac. Um, and so he's been working on a doctorate in philosophy. And so the first time he was over in Rome, he came back at Christmas time and I said, Hey, I want to do a dinner for my secretary spouse. And then the lady that cleans the house and her spouse. And so we formed this little dinner club and I remember the first dinner club that we had. Um, I was the American mode. And so I was like, okay, we'll have little appetizers, you know. And then, you know, the appetizers are, you know, halfway through, we'll bring out the main meal or the main course, you know. And then when everybody finishes that, we'll, we'll put dessert on the table. And so the first dinner club, we're in the kitchen and the guests are sitting at the dining room table, which is connected to the kitchen. It's like from me to you. And um, I'm like, should we bring these out? And he's like, no. And I go, but we're done with the appetizers. Like, we need to serve the next. He's like, no, stop. And I'm like, we can't let these, like, they're, they're going to starve, you know? Like, they're just going to sit there and starve to death as we're just like, what are we doing? Like, they're ready. Let's go. And he's like calm down. And that dinner was three hours. And it was the most, once I finally like, was like, all right, fine. He's like, he goes, why don't I do this? And you be host and I'll bring the food out when it's ready and we're ready to eat. And I was like, all right. And once I did that, the relaxing three hour dinner was nice. Because it wasn't, it wasn't rushed and it wasn't, you know, jam all this food in your stomach and feel like they have to roll you out of the, from the table because you're stuffed. It was just relaxing and enjoyable. Daddy, Abba, Father wants to have those times with you. Not a three hour. So that's why Mass today is going to be three hours. No. I'm, I'm kidding. 
Um, but Abba Father wants to have those, those, those times with you where you get lost in time. Like those, that three-hour dinner, I wasn't going, looking at my watch every day, you know, or every minute or two minutes. Like, it was just relaxing. And I got lost at the end of the dinner. It was like, oh, that was three hours. Wow. But it didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel panicked. Abba, Father, Daddy wants to get lost with you in time. He wants to be able to get lost with you um, and have those moments where you can get lost with him, where you can get lost in time with him. Very last thing, I promise. Um, approaching Abba, approaching Daddy, if you, if you think to yourself, I don't know how to do that, I don't know how to come to God. I don't know how to speak to God. I don't know how to talk to him as daddy. I don't know how to, you know, bear my soul to him. There's no wrong way to do it. Like, you can't do it incorrectly. You can't do it, like, the best conversations is when there's no script. When I was talking to a priest about this retreat, he said, are you going to write out everything you're going to say? And I said, no. I said, I can't. Like, I would be bored to tears if I stood up here and went, like, read every word for word. I would be bored. And if I'm the one doing it, and I'm bored, chances are you're going to be really bored, right? And so I can't do that. Do you want I'll show you, I'll show you my notes for my talks. This is the outline that I did. This is the bullet points for talk one. That's the rest of the talks. They're blank in case you can't see that. They're blank pages. Um, and the reason, and now you might sit there and be like, that makes a lot of sense. Um, the reason is because, um, the reason that I didn't write down everything is because I needed to leave room for the Holy Spirit. Like I knew if I wrote down everything and I read it, um, one, it'd be boring and two, it would be as if I didn't need the Holy Spirit to interject something. So that's why nothing's written down. Um, that and because, um, okay, this is really it. The joy, um, when, when I may have asked some of you what's your greatest attribute, the joy that I get in talking about this stuff of lies, truth, and healing, um, the joy that I get is, is straight from God is from God the Father. It is because I was able to experience it, I can't not help others to experience it. Um, and so I was, when I was talking to a priest friend, I have a lot of priest friends. Um, when I was talking to a priest friend about this retreat, I said, I think it's going to be exhausting. And 
it's just because we're dealing with heavy stuff, you know? And so it's just going to be exhausting. And he goes, it's going to be exhausting, but you're going to be rejuvenated. Like, you're going to be tired at the end of it, but you're going to have, like, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be enriched. And he goes, I can't wait to see you. So we're getting together tonight so he can look at me. Like, I know I'm good to look at, made in the image and likeness of God. Um, But uh, the excitement and the joy that I get from doing this. So um, 